In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today we celebrate the feasts of St. Peter and St. Paul. I was looking at the the book, The Converse, Conversations with uh, God, and it has them separately, Feast of St. Peter's, Feast of St. Paul, but, but really the Church uh, has wanted them uh, together. And one way that that is represented is in a traditional iconography in the Church, in the early Church, we can see it, as well as in later paintings. It's the, called the Kiss of Peace. And I remember being in Cababianca, there is uh, the, what is called the Church of Our Lady of the Angels, which was built in such a way that there is an atrium as you enter, and rather than simply going into the atrium and going directly into the church, there is a staircase that goes down because of zoning regulations. They couldn't build the church very high, so they had to go deep into the ground and then build it up. So when you enter the atrium, there's a little kind of vestibule. There's a beautiful uh, sort of travertine inscription that refers to 1982, the establishment of the, of the work as a prelature. Then you go down these rather regal staircase, and as you come to one of the landings, there's a beautiful painting there of Peter and Paul in open arms, falling into embrace. I don't know who painted it, it probably, but certainly it's 17th century Baroque. There's a marvelous landscape around them. And it is based on the ancient iconography of the kiss of peace, showing the two apostles embracing on their way to martyrdom. And that martyrdom was the key to this image, since Paul was a Roman citizen, he could not be crucified, so he was martyred by being beheaded in this area called the Three Fountains. But Peter was a Jew, so he could be crucified. But, as you know, he chose to do it head down, that is, he did not feel himself to be worthy to be crucified in the same way as, as his Lord Jesus. So, he was unworthy of that. Is it worse to be crucified upside down? Probably, probably quite a bit worse, I don't know. I've never been crucified, obviously, so... But his is not feeling himself worthy is a, is a powerful powerful image and we've seen paintings of that too just of the crucifixion there's less of that of St. Paul but the two come together in that kiss of peace that kiss of unity because each one of them had their role to play St. Peter was a fisherman 
who is called by Christ to lead and care for the Christ's entire flock because Christ is said to feed my sheep. And it was Peter who received uh, a vision confirming that the good news was to be preached to those the, the Jews that the, the, those that the Jews considered unclean, that is, the Gentiles, the pagan Gentiles. And Paul, who was a former Pharisee, in other words, very much uh, a Jew, carried out the missionary mandate of going to the Gentiles. So you see how the two come beautifully together. Peter receives the mandate, Paul carries it out. This is what uh, Pope Benedict said a few years ago, 2008. Since the most ancient times, the Church of Rome has celebrated the solemnity of the great apostles Peter and Paul as a single feast on the same day, June 29th. It was through their martyrdom that they became brothers. Together they founded the new Christian Rome. As such, they are praised in the hymn for Second Vespers that dates back to Paulinus, Paulinus of Aquila from the 8th century. O Felix Roma, O Roma Felix, fortunate Rome, consecrated by the glorious blood of two princes of the apostles, dyed red in their blood, you shine more resplendently than all the glory of the world, not by your merit, but by the merits of the saints that you have killed, drawing blood with the sword. He continues, the blood of martyrs does not invoke revenge, but reconciliation. The blood of martyrs does not invoke revenge, does not make us angry. It does not invoke revenge. He said, it is not present, it is not presented as an accusation, but rather as the fairer light in the words of the hymn for the first vespers. It is presented as the force of love that overcomes hatred and violence, thus founding a new city a new community. Through their martyrdom, they, Peter and Paul, now belong to Rome. Through their martyr, Peter also became Roman citizen forever. Through their martyrdom, through their faith and love, both apostles point to where true hope lies. They are founders of a new sort of city that must be constantly rebuilt in the midst of the old human city that is threatened by the opposing forces of human sin and selfishness. So both, we know, ended up in Rome. And we know that they died there. And this is what kind of holds the city of Rome together. Especially, of course, St. Peter's Basilica. It's the first thing you do when you go to St. Peter's. I remember going there, Father Steve Brock, 
who was only Steve Brock at that time in 1990. He received me in Cavabianca and said, you have to go to St. Peter's. Let's go. And we went. And we said, and our father there in front of uh, one of the images of Our Lady and uh, looking upon the baldacchino there with those Solomonic columns. I remembered how Margarita Guarducci had determined that St. Peter had been crucified just nearby in the circus of Nero, I believe in the, about the year 46, and that St. Paul had arrived in Rome around the year 60 and spent two years under house arrest awaiting his appeal to Caesar after being arrested in Jerusalem. And so we know that from St. Ignatius of Antioch that Paul was beheaded in Rome during Nero's reign. So was, well, Peter also was killed during Nero's reign. Paul was on his way to do apostolate to bring the gospel where it was not out there among the Gentiles. Rome was on his way there to the Gentiles. He had to kind of go there, we are told, videre petrum, to get his approval. He did not found the community of Rome, but he did write to the Romans on his way there. In that sense, the, those two figures, Peter and Paul, are, are among the two most important figures in the history of the Church. Paul's influence is primarily through scriptures and his epistles, that form a bulk of the New Testament, while Peter's influence is more ecclesiastical. They conform to the words of our Lord, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. On his own, he was not terribly solid, but Jesus wanted to build the church on him. Paul, on the other hand, was over-the-top fierce, as though he had this 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 zeal, this this passion. Was Paul rather whereas Peter had this stability, Paul is the one who fills us with excitement. This is what our Father says in the way Courage, you can. Don't you see what God's grace did with sleepy headed Peter? the coward who had denied him, and with Paul, his fierce and relentless persecutor. And we imagine that, yeah, indeed, Peter was sleepy-headed. Peter couldn't keep focused. Peter was often waffling, undecided. But Jesus made him a rock. Paul was relentless. He was overzealous. He was perhaps uh, didn't have that stable prudence that you would expect of a leader, but Jesus made him that. And there's something about the phrase of making Peter into somebody who has that security, that solidity, who is that common father whom we love. 
And there's something about that enthusiasm in the apostle that we have to regain also. The two seem to be apart, but really they, they, they work together. And we can ask now both Peter for stability and St. Paul for zeal. That they work together in us, regardless, or let's say, despite our limitations, despite our own sleepiness. Maybe right now we have a sleepiness. We would rather go to bed. Maybe we didn't sleep well. And maybe in the afternoons we are very sleepy. And our focus, is, we are drained of our focus because of all the things that draw attention to our focus. We are like Peter. But the Lord Jesus can do something in us because he has chosen us. He has chosen us, regardless of our limitations. Just like he has chosen Peter and he has chosen Paul. And the two, both stability and passion, work together. Our father had a special love for the Pope, the Roman Pontiff, as he said in Love, in Love with the Church, that book that is a homily. He said, love for the Roman Pontiff must be in us a delightful passion, for in him we see Christ. A delightful passion. It's always got to be that, no matter who he is. One of these uh, apologists uh, from the U.S., his name is Trent Horn, I'm sure you've heard of. He recounts how he went with his, with his wife to Rome in the year that they got married, and they went wearing all their, the attire that they wore during their wedding, and they went in the subway. She was wearing her wedding dress and he was wearing his tuxedo. And uh, they knew that any couples that had been recently married could go to the audience and get a good seat and maybe even a blessing from the Holy Father or at least one that was close to you know, the front lines. And they managed to get, they had tickets or something, and they managed to get further and further up. And they were very happy to be able to be like in first line. And then a security guard waved them over, pointed directly at Trent Horn and his wife, and said, You come see Pope. You come see Pope. He said, My stomach fell as, as if it was full of pins and needles when the Pope finally met us. And I was at a loss of, for words. My wife skipped past the formalities and gave him a huge bear hug which the Pope's security detail was not happy about. Though the Pope seemed to laugh over it. This uh, spontaneous wanting to hug the Holy Father because of that passion, that delightful passion. And we can think of our Father also back in 1946 when he first went to Rome. They, they made a video of this moment after the ordination of, of the first three priests how Don Alvaro had already gone to Rome, but he was encountering difficulties in the Curia, and so he asked the Holy, he asked uh, our Father to come to Rome. That then he needed to explain this, and his doctor told him he shouldn't go. He had diabetes, severe diabetes. He could, he could have uh, an attack of some kind. It wouldn't be good. So 
How does he get there? Well, he couldn't take the train because the borders were closed. This is post-war Europe. Things are a mess. There's still refugees all over the place. Everything was all destroyed. Roads were destroyed. You couldn't take cars. So, from Barcelona, he took this boat called, famously called the JJ Sister. On his way there, he passed by Montserrat and then went to Barcelona, stayed at the center called La Clinica. And that's where he preached the famous meditation where he quoted precisely from St. Peter, Lord, we have left all things, to whom shall we go? Because he was going there to Rome with a sense of trepidation, a sense of will, you know, will they accept us or not? Will they approve us or not? To whom we have left all things, to whom shall we go? And then, well, after a very, it seems, a very tempestuous trip from Genua, from rather from Barcelona to Genoa across the ocean, people were screaming, uh, they, they were asking for absolution, uh, there was a big storm, a very unlikely storm at that time. He arrived in Genoa, where Don Alvaro awaited him with Salvador Canals, and they drove down the very dangerous roads to Rome from Genoa dangerous because there were thieves, there were bandits on the way. They would have people offering to protect them, but they went, they felt they had to get to Rome fast. I'm not sure exactly where, but at one point you could see the dome of St. Peter's. And our father was very moved upon seeing the dome from a distance still driving along the highway. And he was moved, they pulled over, and I think they stopped and said, and our father. You can picture that now, 1946. And this is, this is what our father said in the way about the idea of going to Rome, making a pilgrimage to Rome. He said, Catholic, Apostolic, Roman. I want you to be very Roman and to be anxious to make your path to Rome, videre petrum, to see Peter. And that indeed has to be part of our DNA, to see Peter. And Peter was in Rome to create a kind of unity with all those cultures, all those languages. And when Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, this was a very key moment because it it changed his purpose, his destiny, to have your name changed. Just like Abraham, which means father of many nations. Peter means rock. Peter means stability. That is, That was his destiny, to be a kind of a rock and a foundation. You must not lose sight of that. I mean, Paul also had his name changed, which means it was his mission that had changed. And he meditated on this as well, how Jesus had chosen him. He said he was first a sinner, but cured, healed, like being cured of an incurable cancer through, he said, divine mercy. They do speak today of these miracle drugs that can heal people of incurable diseases that otherwise would never have been 
incurable. People who would otherwise have been dead, they can now function, they can go now back to normal. I was asking Father Antoine about a priest that we coincided with, a French priest, and uh, I said, how is he doing? Uh, I hadn't heard from him. He said, well, he's been cured. He had leukemia and was cured, and now he's functioning. I didn't even know that he had leukemia. So now we have the successor of Peter, and our father had an enormous respect for that office, and he had hard time being understood by the Curia, but he was always faithful to the figure of the Pope, this, this, this fundamental figure. And what, is, what does God ask us of us today on this feast? Because we know that there are those who speak sometimes about any Pope rather contemptuously or in a contemptuous way. And whatever the Pope may have said or done, we know very clearly that this is not our way. This is not our way. This is not what our Father would have wanted. And there are, for some Catholics, the Pope is like a kind of a stranger to them. As, as if part of his job was to meet their expectations, their own demands. And uh, that can't be our approach. You know, he's, he's the, the closest analogy for us, really, for us, is that, that, the, that the church is a, is a large family and, the, and that the Holy Father is the father of this family. And whoever he is, he's the Father. Our Father said in the forge, your deepest love, your greatest esteem, your most heartfelt veneration, your most complete obedience, and your warmest affection have also to be shown towards the Vicar of Christ on earth, towards the Pope. We Catholics should consider that after God and the Most Holy Virgin, our Mother, the Holy Father comes next in the hierarchy of love and authority. And that's, that's a pretty strong statement. And no matter what time, no matter what the culture is around the Pope, we have to... That's part of our, part of our charism to have love for the Holy Father. And the, the Father has asked us to pray a lot because for him because of the demands. He himself has asked us to pray for him. And we cannot simply, we simply cannot be among those who criticize the Pope, Pope Francis or, or any Pope. And, uh, and so we ask this now uh, in, in light of today's feast pray in particular for the Holy Father, for all those responsibilities, all those decisions he has to make, but also at the same time pray for this apostolic zeal, a zeal that we go to St. Paul to, to, to grant us more vocations, 
grant us residence for the center. And uh, ask God really to fill us with that, that energy that we need that is a result of this divine vocation that we have received. United to the Holy Father, but with the zeal of St. Paul. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.